This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son, living the dream while showering my dog to get rid of the skunk smell. Ew! Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board, and here's Scott Thompson! Good afternoon. It is 3.08. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom looking after you, making the uh, making sure the world is spinning around. Feel free to jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Everybody, guess who picked the song today? Hands up, please. Oh, you over there in the red shirt. Yes, you're right. It was Ted. Uh-huh. <laughs> what a- so go ahead. Explain the song. I, no, well, I, I just love the song. It, it was from my high school days, George Baker selection, One Hit Wonder, a group from Holland. You like a lot of the one-hit wonders. We were yeah. ta- Will and I were talking about that. You like the one-hit wonder. If it's good. For, for example, another one as he digresses. Starbuck, Moonlight Feels Right. You could never top the production in that song. They had a minor hit after that. It was never the same, much like this one. Uh, I was going to say write this down, Will, for next time, but don't write that one down. Really not needed. No. Uh, do you know what this song's about? Uh, drugs on a train track. Yes. And I you- had no idea that was that's what it was about, and I'm looking at it because it's one of those songs you never really know what they're saying. No, because... But it's called Little Green Bag. Lo- so I looked up the lyrics, looking back on the track for a little, little green, green bag, bag. Uh, got to find just the kind where I'm losing my mind. Yes, yeah, see? <laughs> Now, so now, one now, of Ted's favorite songs is a song about cannabis. But, but you see, at the time when he s- sings it, it's like Louie Luai by the Kingsman. You can't understand yeah. the lyrics, but when you really listen to it, it's just some guy mumbling. But this one actually has a little bit of a poignant message. Not that I was endorsing that in high school. I just Did you know that that was what it was about in high school? No, I didn't. Did you buy that, Diana? No, I don't. <laughs> No. Yeah, I there you go. I I and you know what when you look up on the lyrics to see what the lyrics are, it yeah. says little green back. It yeah. doesn't say bag. No. Because it's kind of odd. Because he says it, looking back on a track for little green back, kind of a, a, a um yeah. he kind of slurs it, but anyway, great hey, welcome song. Welcome to I American thought. Bandstand, kids. <laughs> I give it a 7. I can dance to it. <laughs> there you go. All right, thank you, Ted. I think you're up tomorrow, Diana. Okay, I'll right. start thinking of one now. There you go. Uh, feel free. And uh, you feel free, too. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Poll question of the day for you today. Facebook and Instagram, down Monday. Which one did you miss more? There is no neither. Why isn't there a neither on this? Zero. Nothing. Uh, right now, 51% uh, Instagram. 
Uh, feel free to weigh in on that on Twitter. Love to hear from you. And Thanksgiving, uh, will it include more family and friends? 54% said no yesterday. Uh, 54% keeping their status quo when it comes to uh, Thanksgiving. That being said, uh, getting information out now from the Ontario Health Table, uh, providing you're fully vaccinated, uh, you can take those masks off. But again, protocol there, if you're having people from outside your gathering who are not or uh, such, uh, make sure you follow the protocol and mask up when you are indoors. All right. As I mentioned, the HSR, uh, like any business, has gone through uh, some hard times during this global pandemic and is now obviously trying to attract people back to uh, the service as we slowly start to open up again and, and get things back to whatever the new normal is. Let's bring in Nancy Purser, Manager of Transit Support Services for the City of Hamilton and with us now. Nancy, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very well. I hope you are too. Yeah, so far so good. So let's talk about COVID-19 and the HSR. I mean, how bad has it been for the service surviving this last year and a half? So uh, the service has um, felt, you know, the loss of its ridership, but it has been there um, consistently for the essential workers that have needed to use it um, for the last 18 months. And obviously now, as hopefully things get back uh, and, and more and more people get back to uh, working and such and, and using services like the transit, what are you trying to do? What's your objective here? So uh, we, we have um, a few things. I, I mean, our biggest one is, of course, to stimulate ridership recovery. Um, as of August, we've returned to about 53% um, from pre-COVID levels. Um, we also are looking to make transit more affordable for families with young children and encourage uh, lifelong transit use. Um, and with our new um, on-demand um, pilot uh, in Waterdown, we're looking to increase ridership there. Let's talk about the kids uh, riding for free, because I think this is a great idea, especially, you know, when we've been out of sync for a year and a half and, and, and doing whatever we normally did. And, and, you know, many people, I'm sure, will say, well, you know, you're giving, uh, you know, you're, you're just filling uh, seats uh, with butts and you're giving stuff away. But I, I think you bring up a valid point in all this, Nancy, is that you're changing uh, or perhaps helping to change uh, uh, habits here and by getting kids involved in something this is something they will take through life and, and use it a lot more frequently hopefully obviously that's the thought here uh, yes exactly we are um, it is um, an opportunity to encourage uh, children to try us out to get used to using the service um, and understand how it moves through through the city uh, do kids make up that much of the fare box? Any idea what you, you would lose on a, again, what can you compare it to now? We're in the middle of a pandemic or hopefully the end of it. Uh, but well, what, what normally, what percentage of a, of a fare box would, would kids of that age make up? So in uh, pre-COVID um, times, we um, estimated that we received approximately $163,000 um, from the child concession category, mm-hmm. which um, on a $45 million revenue is, is a very small percentage. What, what has the response been to this for the kids? I mean, obviously, it's still early on, and we'll get the details in just a sec, but what's the response been so far? So uh, we've received a favorable response from um, our Public Works Committee. Um, They passed this report um, favorably at 8 to 0 volt. Um, It's not been released to the public, so 
um, at this point. So we've not really heard any direct feedback from our customers. So when is this all scheduled to start, Nancy? Uh, so all of the programs are scheduled to um, start on November 1st, uh, 2021. Okay, so obviously uh, you've talked about uh, the kids and them riding for free. Let's be uh, a little bit more specific. Who would that include? Who does it not include uh, for people that are interested as of November 1st? So for uh, the children, it is uh, currently children 0 to 5 already ride for free. So we're looking at children from the ages of 6 to 12 um, that would now also be able to ride for free uh, for a one-year pilot. And uh, what do you hope to do at the end of the pilot? What happens at the end of all of this? So through, throughout, the, um, throughout this one-year period, we'll be collecting a lot of data, um, uh, both on ridership and feedback through feedback from customers um, in order to determine how feasible it is to make it a permanent program. Uh, so you talked about uh, the kids portion of that now, and you said there was a couple of other things, a loyalty program. Talk about that a bit. So the loyalty program uh, the city currently has offers um, uh, loyal rider to riders um, after a week of, trav- of travel, after 11 rides, um, free transit. Um, so recognizing the change in travel patterns um, due to COVID, um, hybrid office workers, things like that, we are offering free uh, fares sooner by dropping that to eight rides in a week. And uh, how did you come up with some of these ideas? I mean, obviously, uh, there's been research done across various other transit facilities and such. But uh, why this? Why this now? Why? Where's this information coming from? How did you gather all of this? So um, it, it's basically looking at the information, of course, that's out there in other municipalities, um, and basing it on um, just the information we have right now with COVID, um, what's happening with our ridership and um, offering ways to um, entice them to come out, try it, um, and just come back to transit. And I think there was one more issue here in regard to route to Dundas. Explain that. It's actually the water down route. Oh, sorry, water Um, down. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, We've introduced um, HSR MyRide, which is an on-demand service, a brand-new service offering that um, HSR is, has, is piloting. Um, so we want people to try a ride, um, get on board, and um, I know once they're on, they'll enjoy the service. So we're offering that from November uh, through December. And how does that work exactly? Uh, so um, basically when you um, ride from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Monday to Friday, um, and tap your Presto card, no money will be charged to you. Right. All no right, so lots of stuff going on to uh, to get the HSR back up to where it was. Uh, website we can go to to find out more about all of this? Uh, uh, Hamilton.ca slash HSR. All right, Nancy Purser with us, Manager of Transit Support Services for the City of Hamilton. HSR doing a lot of things to uh, obviously try to increase ridership after a global pandemic, including offering free service to those uh, kids that are from 5 to 12, already under 5, already admitted. And this all begins November 1st. Nancy, thanks so much for the time. Good luck. Thank you very much. 
Canada is formally invoking a 1977 pipeline treaty with the United States in a bid to prevent Michigan from turning off the taps to Enbridge's Line Number 5 pipeline. This dispute stems from uh, a year-old decision by the Michigan govern, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer to revoke a uh, easement uh, to allow the pipeline across the Straits of Mackinac connecting Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. This has been in place since 1953. Uh, and the governor cited an environmental concern uh, about the impact of a breach uh, from the aging pipeline that would have uh, uh, that would have in the area and gave Enbridge six months to close it. A U.S. federal court has ordered the two sides to negotiate, but Michigan stopped participation in those talks in early September. To give us an update on where we are and what's going on, let's bring in Dan McTagg, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP, and with us now. Dan, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I'm doing fine, busy, and uh, getting ready for those record prices at the pumps, uh, which will uh, come visit us right here in Hamilton on uh, on Thursday morning. So what's the result of that? Let's start there. Uh, result of uh, oil prices going through the roof, uh, demand outstripping supply, supply being hemmed in by uh, the usual suspects, uh, not just uh, COVID-related uh, uh, post-pandemic surge, but of course, uh, less financing uh, move to try to uh, get people away from investing in oil and natural gas. It's all fun, except that uh, when you wind up uh, with the world still saying we want more of this stuff and there's less available, well, you wind up with uh, what we're seeing right now in terms of the chaos, for lack of a better term, that we're seeing in Asia, Europe, and in particular Germany and Britain right now with uh, getting supplies before winter begins. So uh, where are we with the Line 5 issue? Because, again, I think the last time we talked on this, it was, you know, there was talking about closing it down. Give us an update on this. Yeah, it, look, it's been, uh, as you quite rightly pointed out, fell off the radar map, uh, radar because, of course, we uh, we thought this whole thing would be negotiated somehow between uh, Enbridge and the state of Michigan. But it looks like they're saber-rattling again. They want this thing closed. They saw the disaster in uh, in California, when one of their aged uh, uh, pipe lines broke, that was off of uh, near Huntington Beach, if anybody's familiar with the area. It's a nice little area. No, I wouldn't call it so pristine, but it's great for surfing. We won't get into that topic right now. Um, but it's the reality is that uh, it's got Michigan now saying, hey, we still want this thing closed. And we doesn't matter what you do to ensure that there's uh, never going to be a, uh, a pipeline rupture as there has never been for the past 63 64 years we're still not happy and we still want it closed so the federal government i think is sensing real pressure here they've got to take this out of the hands of michigan that could win in court uh the re- that it has jurisdiction to shut down that pipeline to uh, remove the uh, right of way that they gave way back in 1953 uh, and that could very well spell, uh, you know, the uh, final days for that pipeline to, in fact, continue flowing as per Michigan's request. By moving in this direction, the federal government is saying two things. One, it has to be negotiated bilaterally between the uh, U.S. presidential administration and the Canadian government. Now it becomes a matter of foreign affairs, not just economic affairs. And so uh, this has just gone to, if you will, DEFCON 3, and it means that uh, you know, we better have damn good connections to the Biden administration, because if not, um, the treaty, uh, as we've seen with the Americans and other countries, treaties are only as good as the willingness of both parties to abide by them. If the United States sees an advantage in not abiding by it, it can simply uh, ignore the treaty and uh, and move on. 
Uh, what about the California League? Do protesters have a point about, I heard this could have even been dinged by a, uh, a ship's anchor. What do we know about the California League? We know that it's an aging pipeline. We know that it leaked in 1990. Same thing with the same, although not as much in terms of, what, 128,000 gallons uh, works out to, last I calculated, about 1,000 barrels of oil. That's not a that's not an insignificant amount, but it's, you know, it's certainly enough to do some damage to the shorelines, and uh, booms have been put in place to try to clean it up. I guess they're going to probably recover about 90% of it, but there will be, obviously, an effect. It, I think, reinforces, for those who don't like pipelines, the notion that somehow, you know, uh, uh, California should stop producing its own oil. Uh, good luck with that, because the alternative is Russia. And uh, last time I checked, renewables, unfortunately, for uh, California are not there. Even building EVs requires oil. Uh, we know that they've had a number of far more significant issues with rolling blackouts. Um, they've had to fire up natural gas plants to make up uh, for the shortages no wind, and sometimes uh, cloudy weather has made it so that uh, putting all their eggs in one basket in those kind of renewables has meant significant economic dislocation. By the way, the, it is uh, an adage. I have a cousin down there who's telling me that one of the biggest cottage industries there is uh, the uh, rent-a-truck with a number of people leaving California in favor of other jurisdictions that are less costly and cumbersome. But that aside, uh, I think just grist for the mill for those who oppose pipelines. Only one problem. Enbridge, in the case of Line 5, has uh, permits to build under the seabed, under the uh, Strait of Mackinac, uh, and uh, well down below where any kind of uh, vessel or its, uh, uh, its moorings or its uh, uh, anchor could strike and potentially create damage, as there was an allegation that that happened a couple of years ago without any spill. Nevertheless, um, it's, it's obviously very clear that uh, Michigan Governor Whitmer and her, more importantly, her Attorney General, uh, Dana Nessel, has, uh, well, since 2012, been on a mission to shut that down ever since the Kalamazoo leak way back in 20, 2010. And uh, when do you think we'll know more on the future of this? Well, I think it's going to come out in terms of negotiations between the federal government and the Biden administration. And... Uh, Biden has to make a choice. Does he want to turn his back on his green supporters, which are pretty significant? Um, we know that Gretchen Whitmer isn't just the the, the governor of Michigan. Uh, we She's also one of the presidents of the Democratic Convention. That's the equivalent of being vice president, uh, say, in Canada of the Liberal Party. So you have a little bit more pull and a little bit more say. Uh, so for Mr. Biden, um, this becomes another perhaps keystone xl moment for him and mm. uh, he will be lobbied very heavily by the people supporting him to shut it down if that happens uh i don't even want to think about what this is going to do to canada uh because it uh, it will create uh, undue economic uh harm to our to our nation the likes of which we have rarely seen Dan McTagg with us, president of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP. Uh, the fate of Line 5 still in limbo in the courts. We're waiting to find out how this all uh, moves forward. Dan, thanks for the time as always. Be well. Great to be here. Thanks again, Scott. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. I'm also accountable for where we failed in executing on our plan for Canadians. And I take that responsibility very seriously. I'm resolutely committed to reviewing every element of our campaign. And my family and I are resolutely committed to the next chapter in our party's fight 
for this great country. That is Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole uh, exiting a, uh, a caucus, I guess the first caucus meeting since uh, the election, and a review is triggered. That's part of their policy, and uh, we'll continue watching that and bring more of that to you. Uh, to talk all things politics, both political and federal, let's bring Andre Perella in, professor in political science at Wilfrid Laurier University, and with us now. Andre, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Let's start with Ontario. A throne speech, pretty much uneventful yesterday. I don't think many people even knew it was going on or covered much of it. Uh, what was the purpose of this, other than, I guess, Ontario government was prorogued before that, and when you hit the reset switch, you got to come with something. Is that really the only reason for this yesterday? Well, there's more reason than that. There's also, this is probably the last throne, sheet, uh, the throne speech before the Ontario general election. So it sounds a bit like a party platform. It sounds like, you know, these are the wonderful things we've done, and here are some wonderful things that we plan to do. Uh, but in terms of a throne speech, it doesn't really outline much in terms of legislation. There's only, uh, there's only one mention about um, plans to introduce legislation to uh, protect residents in long-term care, you know, to make these centers more accountable, uh, more transparent. Other than that, there's not a whole lot indeed. Uh, many said not much there. Are you surprised at that? Or does this call come out later as part of an election campaign? Well, um, this is a pre-election throne speech, so I'm expecting a pre-election uh, platform in a way. Uh, so exactly that. There's not a, whole, not a whole lot of substance. Usually a throne speech outlines the parliamentary agenda. Here are the things we're going to achieve. Here are the bills we want to pass. There's not a whole lot here. Again, it's not really intended for a parliamentary session. It's intended for a pre-election period. And are you surprised that it's come and gone without much fanfare? Well, not, not really. Um, there would have been more fanfare had there been some substance to really talk about. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the Ontario government or the, the Progressive Conservative Party strategy is to lay low um, because the more attention you draw to yourself, the more likely it's going to be negative attention. So lay low, don't make too many ripples, and hopefully by the time the campaign rolls around, they may have recovered or people have forgotten the, some things that would have otherwise led them to vote against the government. So they're, they may be trying to play, to play low-key here. Uh, federal conservatives undergoing a caucus meeting today, first one since the election. I guess with their party, a review is triggered or you trigger one. Uh, how do you think this is going? Is, is this a lot of chatter about nothing? I mean, obviously the conservatives have been known to hang each other out to dry. Uh, what do you think's gonna, what do you think the future of O'Toole is? Well, that's uncertain. And I was just watching his press conference, uh, a moment ago. Uh, the caucus voted to give itself a power to trigger and a, a leadership review pretty much at any time. Um, so he's on a very short leash. It doesn't mean that they'll exercise it. It just means that they've um, given themselves the power to do so. What they intend to do, I don't know. Um, um, Andrew Scheer got even, um, had more success in his post-election caucus meeting, uh, and he didn't last much longer after that. So it's unclear what will happen here. My impression is that Aaron O'Toole wants to stay. He does believe that he can take the party across the finish line. He can take it to the to the uh, to government once again. It all depends on whether there are enough members in the caucus who agree with his vision.
Many said, uh, and oddly enough, I was commenting before the election, the win is in the center. Clearly, that wasn't the case. Uh, do, do you think he took the party too far to the center? Well, I don't know about that. I, I always thought that the Conservative Party today resembles a little bit, and I don't know how much of this is, uh, uh, how many of us remember this, um, even, even, it's even before my time, it's, it resembles a little bit the NDP when it tossed out the waffle movement, where the NDP had this, this uh, left-wing um, some perceive as a radical group within its ranks that was mm-hmm. uh, in, impeding them from greater electoral appeal. So they got rid of them. And in a sense, the Conservative Party also has, has this, this base, this, this social conservative base that, that may turn off some people. And maybe Aaron O'Toole is trying to shake that off a little bit. Uh, because who was complaining about Aaron O'Toole moving the, the party closer to the center? It, it wasn't the, the progressive conservatives. It wasn't the moderate conservatives. It was yeah. more the hard the hard right conservatives. And maybe the conservatives find themselves today where the NDP was similar uh, in the early 70s. Not quite the same. The NDP uh, still is far away from um, becoming a governing party. Uh, the conservatives are, are closer to that, but they still are impeded a little bit by by that hard right uh, element that is turning off a lot of a lot of voters who are in the center. Andre, what about the prime minister? Many have said, uh, you know, obviously the focus is on O'Toole and on O'Toole and where his leadership is going. Uh, many talk about the walk of the walk in the snow. Has he already had that by having the walk on the beach? Did not win the majority. Hart is not in it. Do you see him running in another election? You know, this one confuses me a little bit, and I don't think the walk on the beach is the same as the walk in the, in the snow. When, when Pierre Trudeau walked in the snow, he was thinking about his future. When Justin Trudeau was walking on the beach, I don't think he was really concerned about his future. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know if they're in the same mindset, um, but he may need to take a walk in the snow. I think, I think he needs to ask himself a couple of questions. You know, do I have the right instincts for this? And, and maybe the problem are his advisors. I find it, and talking to colleagues, we find it surprising that nobody in his inner circle would say, whoa, you know, are you sure you want to go on vacation on that day? Yeah. Can you wait? Can you send your family first and then join them later? Is there anybody in his inner circle who would have said that? If not, then I say get new advisors. But I think he should have tuned in, that, in to the inappropriateness of it all. And that is on top of a pile of other inappropriate things that have happened under his, under his watch. So um, I don't know. Maybe he does need to take a, a walk in the snow. Can he win another majority for them? Well, the reason he's, he's not winning majorities is because a lot of people have doubts that his brand, his credibility has been tarnished. And I think the only reason that he was able to win a minority last time and not get kicked out was because he, he, he managed to, to, to uh, frame the conservative brand as, as still scarier than, yeah. than um, <laughs> too scary for, for the average Canadian. Yeah. How long will that last? I don't know, because eventually voters are going to get fed up. And there are really two re- two things that can that can uh, cause his demise. One is the Conservative Party becomes more appealing to the average voter. The other is that voters just get fed up with Justin Trudeau, and and, and the Conservatives may pull what I call a Doug Ford, where you know Doug Ford won not because he had a great campaign. He had, his campaign was awful because everybody was fed up with Kathleen Wynne. Mm. And if Justin Trudeau's brand hits that level, then voters are going to say, I don't care who replaces them; it can't get any worse. And I think that's the risk with Justin Trudeau. People are just going to get fed up with with his uh, lack of poor judgment. Andre Perella with us, professor of political science at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo. Andre, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
All right, Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks with us now, and Will Erskine on the roundtable. Thanks for joining us, kids. Let's start with the uh, with the poll question of the day. Facebook and Instagram down on Monday. Which one did you miss more? And I think it's still at 51%, Will. But yeah. uh, anybody want to start with this? Let's start with you, Ted. I don't even know uh, how to get on Instagram, so that kind of reduces that. Uh, I do use Facebook. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. I, I, I'm not. I, I'm not in Instagram either, Ted. I shouldn't be laughing at yeah, you. I I use Facebook a lot for like uh, show plugs and things that I'm doing. So it was a yeah. little frustrating yesterday. Although I must admit that I, you know, the the journalist reporter had in me kind of okay. Uh, we had the whistleblower on 60 Minutes on Sunday night talking about Facebook, and all of a sudden yep. yesterday, magically, it went down for most of the day. Now, it wasn't hackers. Facebook said it was a routine maintenance job, but something obviously went amiss. One of our listeners is blaming Huawei, uh, but we'll stay away from that. Uh, Diana, your thoughts. Which one do you use more? Um, I use Instagram more, I would say, but I mean, I didn't miss them yesterday. I thought it was very nice and refreshing to kind of have that time away from both of them and not have to worry about notifications and likes and seeing what people are doing and answering messages. And I, I, I kind of liked it. It was like a nice break. Do you spend a lot of time on it? I, I spend more than I want to spend, I think. I would like to spend a lot more time, lot less time rather. And what's the draw to Instagram? I don't know. I just, it's quicker. You can scroll through it. It's its more visual, visually friendly, I guess. I, I don't know. It's simpler. Will? Yeah, yeah, Will can weigh in, too. It's simpler, too. And, I mean, Facebook didn't develop it originally. It was its own Hey, wait thing. a sec. Ted and I are on Facebook, so it can't be, you know, it's simple. I mean, if it wasn't simple, <laughs> Ted and I wouldn't be there. Uh, Trust me. That's true. But, but you actually do less. Like, it's kind of just like flipping through a magazine. It's just, here's the pictures. Here's some writing. Here's yeah. some more pictures. Here's some more writing. You close the thing, or you can forward it to a friend. I think that's part of the draw of it is it hasn't, Facebook's slowly adding more and more stuff that is Facebook. Eventually, it's just going to be basically the same thing as Facebook. Uh, I think that's their end game because they've not really known what to do with it since they bought it outright. But uh, I think that's part of the draw is that you actually get a scale down. You don't get as much of everyone you know uh, when you're on Instagram. You just get their photos and you can scroll past if you know, you're looking at someone like, you went on vacation? How come I haven't got that sort of thing? You can just avoid it. All right, so Facebook getting hammered, as you said, Ted, with this report last weekend and then on the Senate today. Uh, does this, you know, we've heard this before. Does this make any difference? Does this do anything, do you think? As far as what? Uh, I'm not changing Facebook or changing policies uh, or, you know, I, I mean, they're getting hammered today about, you know, uh, social responsibility and, yeah. and social responsibility. I would like to think that it is that, you know, it's funny now you see the Facebook lawyers come out and they put their own spin on it, you know, basically saying that the, the woman who was on, well, it's not quite right. And they're, you know, they're kind of de- deflecting away. Um you would like to think that maybe Facebook will get this, you know, little bit of a, you know, if you will, a, a, an old term, a, a little bit of a comeuppance from people to say, you know what, you got to stop doing what you're doing. We'll see what happens. They're making Diane, a whole, you, Diana, a do you think it should be regulated? I don't know. That's, that's hard to say. I mean, it's... It's tough when you open that can of worms, I guess, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, when do you, what else do you start regulating, you know? I don't know. Uh, I think, Will, want to weigh in? 
Yeah, uh, I think the most interesting thing to me from the uh, whistleblower's comments earlier today is the fact that Facebook, it's international as well. Like, you know, we're thinking of it, they were bringing up specifically how some of the regulations they put in place around the election, some of the things to stop the spread, the virality of, of, uh, new, of stories that rile people up, for lack of a better term, they took those off and then January 6th happened and there was the insinuation that because, of, because they took away those restrictions, it went right back to the mm. way things were. But that said, restrictions like that haven't existed in other parts of the world uh, where they're, yeah, pointing out that, you know, other events, violent events, uprisings, uh, uh, rashes of prejudice and and uh, groups doing things that are uh, beyond, again, Ted uh, marked it as social responsibility, that Facebook's influence is all around the world, not just with Facebook and not just with Instagram, but also with WhatsApp, which is also a huge part of communication infrastructure in other parts of the world. So I I do think there's some sort of intersection of marketing and infrastructure and communication that really needs to be uh, tapped down here. They need to get hold of it. Here's the problem. All right, HS. Go ahead, Ted. Here's the problem. You got your WhatsApp. You got your TikTok. You got too many of these things. It should be Facebook, Twitter, and that's it. So us old guys don't yes, so we don't have to worry about this stuff. Uh, just yeah, like when there were three T. Just like when there were three TV stations. What do we got now? Right. You know, there's, there's too much choice. Right. TikTok, yeah. TikTok, yin yang, all this, all this stuff. <laughs> as, as often happens, I agree with Ted. See, yeah, it's it's uh, a lot. All right. It's a lot. I want to weigh in on this because uh, we don't have much time. Shatner in space. Everybody was ticked off when all the big billionaires went up there in space. There was all kinds of, uh, you know, phallic jokes and all this sort of stuff. And then when the last uh, exploration went up, it was different because it was for St. Jude's. How do you think this is going to be received with... Uh, with Star Trek in space. I think probably people are happy the fact that the guy who represented Star Trek for all these years is going up in space. However, I was shocked to realize he's 90 years old. Yeah. 90. That's all, you know, I'm I'm really hoping he's going to be okay up there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the pull of gravity, <laughs> trust me, is not beautiful, but, you know. I think it's yeah, cool. Yeah, he, he might look completely different in zero gravity. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I need to hold on. I to never his thought weave. of that. Yeah, you know, apparently there will be some sort of scientific experiments, I guess, to see how uh, this sort of thing affects. Remember when John Glenn went up and people made a big deal about this, but uh, at least he's qualified. I mean, I guess they make the rocket look like a Hollywood set and, and William will feel at home. But yeah, I'd be concerned about the nine-year-old part, too. Uh, do, you, do you think there's going to be a kickback on this? Or do you think people are going to just, yeah, it's the old guy, let it go? Diana? I I don't know. I think they're going to let him go. I think they're just going to let it happen. And I think people are generally happy that he's, you know, going to go up there. But as Ted said, he is, uh, he is getting up elderly. There. Would you go up, Ted? You know what? As a kid, I would have. Now, not so much. I, I, I mean, the video of me holding onto my seat screaming would not be really a, a good thing to see. So um, <laughs> I think I'd be a little. You know, did anybody see Saturday Night Live last week with uh, Owen Wilson uh, doing uh, Jeff Bezos and the flight around yeah, that? It yeah, was uh, yeah. quite funny. Quite yes. funny. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The truth and only the truth.
This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. I joined Facebook because I think Facebook has the potential to bring out the best in us. But I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Congressional action is needed. They won't solve this crisis without your help. Wow. What has transpired here since uh, a former Facebook executroid uh, appears on 60 Minutes over the weekend now before a U.S. Senate committee? And uh, I've been watching bits and pieces of this over the course of the afternoon. And uh, Facebook is just getting hammered, to say the least. Let's bring in Carmi Levy, tech analyst. He is with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, great to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me back on. I I can't wait to talk about this one and hear your opinion. Uh, where do we start here? So first of all, let's start with the outage. Do we know what happened, uh, and why did both the, these platforms go down? Yes, we do. The good news is, is despite the rumors that were flying across Twitter and other still available social media platforms yesterday, this was not a hack. It wasn't a breach. There was no cyber crime involved. Uh, someone at Facebook was upgrading software, uh, specifically their addressing software that allows Facebook's uh, websites, apps, services to be found online. It's kind of like Canada Post. Everything has an address. And just before the uh, report started flooding in that Facebook was having an issue, we noticed that Facebook uh, addresses were no longer visible on the Internet. So someone had essentially, at Facebook, turned them off. And this was by, by accident. It was a cascading failure. It started small, and next thing you knew, it became global. So, uh, you know, embarrassing for sure, not a crime, um, but I think it speaks to uh, kind of the state of engineering at Facebook, not quite as vaunted uh, and perfect as Mark Zuckerberg would like you to believe. Uh, a lot of weakness there, and IT types, IT people are talking today about the lessons that we can learn from Facebook's big boo-boo that this keeps happening every few months, and uh, and basically they don't know how to stop them. Um, it's, you know, every company is going to have outages, but this one was longer and significantly more widespread and, quite frankly, embarrassing, much more so than we've seen in the past. So, um, you know, not a good day for Facebook. Incidentally, the day this story broke with uh, Whistler, but at the same time, I think it's a reminder to us that, you know, this has become a global service, and when it goes dark, we are all affected, whether we like it or not. Uh, I'm tuning in. I was tuning into parts of the U.S. Uh, Senate hearings uh, uh, with the whistleblower and Facebook obviously getting hammered. We've seen this several times, though, Carmi. Does this do anything? Does it change anything? Not immediately. And I don't think we should expect that just because one person has stepped forward, in this case, Frances Hogan, she was a product manager at Facebook, and she quit back in May after a couple of years. We shouldn't expect that magically she's going to talk to Congress, this Senate subcommittee, and that tomorrow we're going to see new legislation introduced. It just doesn't work that way. But something is different this time. We've seen a parade of people get in front of law lawmakers or, you know, sort of go public with their story. But what's different here is that before she quit, she, uh, you know, went onto her laptop and she was copying thousands of documents uh, and emails and sending them to herself and basically building a dossier of really solid proof to back up what she was saying. So while we've heard these allegations before, nothing is really new. What we're hearing from her, now we have the smoking gun. We have the absolute proof that shows that 
Facebook was dialing back those protections that allowed, that that kept us from seeing misinformation on the platform. Why? Because misinformation is more engaging. People tend to spend more time on it. They click on it more, which keeps us on the service more, which allows them to make more money. So, you know, now we have some pretty damning proof. And the fact that one example after another, she shared it with the Wall Street Journal. She shared it with other media. She shared it with the Congress. She shared it with uh, with uh, uh, advocacy groups. The fact that there's so much proof here means we're going to be sifting through it for a while. And this could be the turning point where government, not just in the U.S., but elsewhere, finally decides, you know what? We've heard enough. Now it's finally time to start moving in the direction. We're going to start drafting those laws that will you know, maybe rein in some of the excesses that we've been seeing in recent years. And in that, some pretty solid evidence about how this is harming kids. Some pretty solid evidence on how this is fueling uh, divisiveness in in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. d- d- has Zuckerberg lost control of this thing? Has he? Has he? Is it too big to control now? I think quite the contrary. Zuckerberg is in absolute control. His, mm. his leadership team knows exactly what they're doing. I think that's what upsets me the most is that we hear, um, you know, their PR team issues these very carefully worded statements about how dedicated and devoted the company is to addressing the, the multiple challenges of misinformation, of election integrity, um, of, you know, sort of mental health impacts of their services and all of those things. Yet, you know, now we're seeing evidence that they were saying one thing but doing quite another in, you know, in the, in the cover of night under the shadows. Uh, when they thought that no one was looking. So it, it speaks to a culture, and I've, I've used the term rot many times before. This just validates it, and it validates that this is a company that you really can't take them at their word. They may apologize, but they don't really mean it, uh, because their behavior that continues long after that apology suggests that they simply didn't get it. So, yeah, I think Zuckerberg knows exactly what he's doing. He's a brilliant guy. Unfortunately, that brilliance is being uh, pointed in the wrong direction, and we're all suffering because of it. So what is going to be the fallout of this, Carmi? I think we're going to... Is, is this to like the beginning of, of, of real examination on this? I think it is. Yeah, I, I, I often use the word reckoning. I've been saying for years, we are due for a reckoning, not just about Facebook. And we talk about Facebook because they're the biggest social media platform, but the truth of the matter is a lot of this can apply to other, you know, the entire category as well. Um, but I've been saying we are long overdue for a reckoning on, you know, whether social media overuse is good for us or not, and what we should be doing to rebalance ourselves. We're not going to go live in the digital equivalent of a cave. Most of us aren't going to be quitting Facebook, despite what you may see trending on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't just disconnect yourself from your networks like that. It, humans don't work that way. But we can certainly maybe doom scroll a little bit less, maybe be a little bit more critical about how we use the service, about the things that we do on it, spend less time sharing memes with, you know, of our dogs and cats and maybe more time using it for research that can help us have better family and employment lives, things like that. But um, I think this is actually healthy because it's forcing us to confront questions that have probably you know, rested un- unasked for a very long time. And now we're finally having this conversation. So, you know, Europe is looking at legislation. They're investigating, investigating them for antitrust. Um, as well as the misinformation issue. Uh, and, and usually what starts in Europe in the tech space ends up migrating globally. So we'll see legislation in the U.S. and in Canada eventually as well. And I think this particular event, both this outage as well as 
uh, Francis Hogan's testimony, will go down in history as kind of the inflection point where things started to change and started moving in that right direction. Hopefully it at least makes us more aware. Carmi Levy with us, tech analyst, talking about everything Facebook from uh, outages to um, a Senate committee hearings and being accused of being divisive, uh, not to mention what it does to our kids. Carmi, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Really appreciate being here, Scott. Thank you. Ontario's top doctor offered up some advice to those looking to celebrate this coming long weekend. Uh, You'd want to screen for any symptoms of COVID-19. If you have any symptoms consistent with COVID-19, you'd want to be tested in advance. Dr. Kieran Moore says for those families completely vaccinated, as long as you feel comfortable, you may remove masks indoors. For those families with mixed vaccination rates, masks are being recommended for both indoor and outdoor gatherings. We want um, uh, to minimize the spread. We want families to embrace the opportunity to get back together for their mental, physical, social well-being. Indoor gatherings remain capped at 25. Outdoor gatherings are limited to 100. Morgan Campbell, Global News. Uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, uh, uh, Ontario's top doc, giving advice on uh, how we move forward with this Thanksgiving weekend. It's fascinating because for the last, I don't know, 81 weeks, how long we've been doing this? Uh, Well, maybe the next one will be better. Maybe the next event, the next holiday, maybe, well, next time will be next year. Just wait till the And finally, uh, with thank goodness, so many people getting uh, vaccinated, we have finally come to a point where we can start uh, changing the way we do things uh, post, I don't want to say post-COVID-19, but certainly uh, in the fourth wave of this. Uh, It is 521. It is Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Jump into the conversation. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. What do we do as far as Thanksgiving and where we are now? Let's bring in Dr. Colin Furness, epidemiologist and assistant professor at the Faculty of Information, University of Toronto. Toronto's Dalalana School of Public Health and with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time as always. Hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. So your thoughts on Thanksgiving. Uh, we've talked so many times over the last several weeks, months, year, whatever, about how we move through these these holiday times. Uh, will this one be a little different this time out, Doctor? I think for those who can afford it, and it pains me to have to say that in the sentence, for those who can afford it, Thanksgiving ought to be business as usual. And I say that because really the way to enable a safe holiday weekend is through rapid testing. And unlike places like Nova Scotia that hand them out, that encourage people to be safe and get tested, uh, you need to go to Shoppers Drug Mart and pay $40 to get that done. And that's how we're doing it in our house, that unvaccinated kids and, and, and people who have a risk as part of their occupation are going to get a rapid test that day, and then we're going to have a great Thanksgiving. Dr. Moore's advice that people be masked at family events is, is I think, just at odds with reality, and I, I just don't think that's helpful. Uh, I th- he said that if the, the family's not fully vaccinated, I, I believe it, it was his point there. Fully vaccinated, not the case, but those that, uh, uh, I guess, for some reason or another cannot be vaccinated should be masked. And that won't happen, right? People who aren't vaccinated are not going to be snapping on a mask saying, this is how I want to do Thanksgiving. I, I, just, I just don't think that's reasonable. I think the best tool to do what people are going to do, which they've done every holiday during COVID, is get together. And I think people will be doing it even more. And you know, we didn't have Thanksgiving at all last year. We are doing it this year. We're doing it safely with rapid testing. And I think that's, that's, that's the way forward that people can do it, feel safe, and, and really start to embrace family again. It's important. 
obviously those under 12 cannot get the vaccination, so I can see your point of rapid testing, but if people are not going to get vaccinated, are they going to get rapid testing? Are they going to, are they going to be as, as eager to do all of that if they've chose not to perhaps get vaccinated? Well, I think we can, you know, we can segment or categorize people who aren't vaccinated. Some of them think COVID doesn't exist, and I think trying mm-hmm. to talk them into a rapid test might be a tough sell. Some people understand COVID is a risk, but there are other reasons why they don't like vaccines, and they're willing and prepared to do other things instead. So, you know, I think I think that's that's pretty much it. I would not have someone in my house who is unvaccinated and unwilling to test. It's just not to, to me. There's a risk there. Uh, let's get together with that person outside, but let's maybe not have that person at Thanksgiving dinner. Difficult conversation for some families to have. Absolutely, but it's safe. So, uh, vaccinated and a test before Thanksgiving is your recommendation. That would. I think anyone should be able to tuck in at Thanksgiving dinner and feel absolutely safe with that combination, yes. And this is even though everybody has been fully vaccinated, obviously different except when you've got the, kids well, in the except family. Except for the kids under 12. So the kids under yeah. 12 pose a risk to others, and others pose a risk to kids under 12. So you, you, you want a rapid test in order to protect in both directions. So you would be uncomfortable having uh, a, a situation in your home fully vaccinated, uh, except obviously for kids who can't be yet. Uh, but those, those, nonetheless, everyone should be tested because those kids are in the house. Pretty much everyone. If look, if there's someone whose job has them working at home and they just don't have contacts and they're vaccinated, I don't yeah. think we need to be throwing money around or, or wasting scarce resources. So I think there's there's obviously some people you can identify where their their risk of exposure is is very low because they they're not out there in public, they're not going mm-hmm. to restaurants, they're not attending classes, and so on and so forth. So you really have to look, I think, reasonably at what is everyone's risk profile and and just just decide uh, where where to spend your money wisely. And again, for those who can't find forty dollars to do this you know that's that's a travesty that is that is health inequity right there and it's something that public health should not be embracing so um with testing that we have uh can people feel accurate that can people feel comfortable that that's accurate is that a solid backup for them that's a great question to ask. I think it's really important to understand that rapid tests answer a different question than PCR tests. A PCR test, a lab test, answers the question, is there any COVID in your body or in your respiratory tract? That says nothing about whether you pose a risk to other people. You might be well over it and still test positive. A rapid test answers a different question. It answers the question, are you contagious right now? When you're answering that question, it is as accurate as a PCR test. Moreover, it doesn't produce false positives. Very rarely does it produce false positives. So you're unlikely to have your Thanksgiving plans ruined by a false positive, and you're very likely to be detected as sick if you're actively contagious right now. And, and I think that's exactly why they're so appropriate as a screening tool. I, I reject Dr. Moore's assertions that the best way to go is to ask people for symptoms. A lot of COVID transmission is pre-symptomatic, or in the case of a lot of kids, asymptomatic. And so this insistence that we ask for symptoms and use that as a baseline for safety it ignores everything we've we've learned in the last year and and i think that's disappointing i had some questions about babies what about if there's babies in the house those under one too well that's that's obviously really tricky um i'm not sure whether you can administer a rapid test to a baby but really when we're talking about babies we're talking about risk to them so i'm not concerned about testing them so much as being Mm. extra super careful uh, who who gets to be in the same room with baby? And is everyone vaccinated? Is everyone tested? Then you can be really relaxed about it. And that, you know that's true. That's true. Generally speaking, babies have limits to their immune system, and 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 so you know you want to be cautious uh, as as their immune system, like the rest of them, is developing.
So your recommendation is fully vaccinated and obviously a test, and I would suggest, too, having this conversation long before your guests arrive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'm not going to say don't get together because I don't, think that's, I don't think that's solid advice. I don't think that's advice anyone wants to hear. I think that's what we were saying last year because we had no choice. But this year we have choices. We have vaccines. We have rapid tests. So we have these tools. And, and I think we should be deploying them. And that's the way. That's the way to be safe. So when you ask, is it different this year or this, with this particular holiday, I think it is. People just have to look rationally at what are the tools that we have, and we're not getting the greatest advice from a government in Ontario. We're not getting the greatest advice from public health in terms of how to use these tools. It's a bit disappointing, but this is not too complicated to figure out. Dr. Colin Furness with us, epidemiologist, assistant professor at the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto's Dalla Lana School of Public Health. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you very much. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, let's bring in Ron Foxcroft, Canadian businessman, Fox 40 World, creator of the Fox 40 Whistle, author of 40 Ways of the Fox, and let's not forget Fluke Transport. Ron Foxcroft is with us now. Ron, it is great to have you here. How are you doing? I am doing terrific, especially Will Erskine played that my one of my very favorite songs, Everyday People by Sly and the Family Stone. And I, I have to tell you, Ted obviously wanted us to play something from Chicago, but uh, <laughs> Will and I, Will and I, we went out and we got uh, everyday people, and and I bet everybody enjoyed that. You know what? Ted actually picked the top hour tune today. He didn't pick a Chicago tune. He picked he picked Little Green ba- uh, Bag by the George Baker Selection. One oh, hit wonder. That's a surprise. That I is know, really a surprise. But good for Ted. Good for Ted. His Green Bay Packers are on a run, so Ted's on a high. There you go. So tell us about this book, because this isn't a book about you as much as it is about some of the strategy that you've used over the over the course of time. Is that accurate? It, that is very accurate. It absolutely is not about me because I am very, very boring. It's it's about our adventure, Scott, and, and our, our business adventure that we have lived and continue to live because uh, I'm not going to retire for another 25 years. And there'll be a ceremony, and you'll be invited. But that's not until, <laughs> that's not for another twenty five years. But um, you know, um, our our business life that we're living right now has been very diverse and very very exciting. It's not dull. We're in trucking, logistics, warehousing, safety, security, sports. Uh, NBA, NFL, you know, I've got a son that uh, is, is refereeing in the CFL, yeah. actually, tomorrow night. Last weekend, I watched on one channel my son refereeing in the CYO, or C- CFL, and my other son on the chain crew of the Buffalo Bills, and my third son shooting 68 on the golf course. So <laughs> I business life, and now if you just throw in airports, mm. I've been... Uh, uh, actually chair of uh, John C. Monroe Hamilton International for about 18 years and surrounding myself with people smarter than me. And, uh, you know, Scott, last night I started my 18th season uh, as the replay official with the NBA. So Man. the book is about all those business adventures but most important for, well, in particular, the readers and students and young entrepreneurs 
lessons learned from all these adventures. Let me ask you this, because many have said, and I remember saying to my mother who grew up during the Second World War, you know, our generation is very lucky because we really haven't had to undergo the tragedy that they did. Then all of a sudden, blam, a global pandemic. And I've been asking businesses and what have you for uh, the better part of 81, 80 some odd weeks about how this is going to be coming out the other end. And many have said it's going to be like the Roaring Twenties. Many have said it's whatever. Uh, the point is, it's not going going to be either of those it's going to be something completely different what can you being a businessman and an entrepreneur uh in the past see what is changing now because i think for kids it's a different world now than it was even a year and a half ago it's an entirely different world and when this pandemic hit scott from a business point of view it was devastating and you know we gathered together as as a company, you know, as a trucking company and as Fox 40 International, and, and we had to look at each other because obviously it was very serious. And we said, you know what, there's two ways that we can go during this pandemic. We can be uh, a victim or we can be innovative, work hard, work smarter, surround ourselves with smart people, and we can be a survivor. And that's exactly what we've done. We've We've got smart people and we've come up in the fox 40 we've come up with these close vicinity safety products like whistle masks electronic whistles and and things that are used uh, during this pandemic to hmm. become innovative and and drive sales we've never actually had better sales coming from our web store and, and you know, Scott, I don't know the first thing about technology, but it's really important that our company is up to date on technology. So we hired people that are geniuses and smart in the area of technology. Um, I see this, and, and your question was, how do you see this coming up? I'll tell you something, Scott. There is a pent-up demand to get back to business, to get back to being innovative, Canadians are really smart people. And what I see in Canada is we have got a newfound, shall we say, energy to start manufacturing in Canada because we've realized during this pandemic the supply chain management is fragile and, mm. and exporting and bringing products in from wherever is a fragile situation. So I like to look at this as the glass is half full. We've got a new profound strategy to, we're very smart as Canadians, and we have dedicated ourselves to manufacturing in Canada and being better as Canadians. What advice do you have that stands the test of time, whether it's, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 10 or 20 years in, in the future? What advice has stood this, the test of time for you? The test of time for me is basically hire people and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you at what hmm. they do. And I can tell you this, of all of our hundreds of employees, everybody is smarter than me at what they do in their particular job. And, mm -hmm. you know, the other piece of advice that's actually in this book, if you have any success, normally it's not because of you. It's because of the team. It's because of the team that you've surrounded yourself with. 
And, you know, Scott, the other lesson in this book, there's nothing better than winning as a team. Well said, and that's why we should all be playing sports as young people. Uh, Ron Foxcroft with us, Canadian businessman, Fox 40 world, creator of the Fox 40 Whistle, author of 40 Ways of the Fox, and let's not forget Fluke Transport. Ron, as always, thank you so much for the time. I bet so many people have asked you so much advice over the years. It's like, man, i got to put this in a book. I can't answer any more questions. And and, uh, (laughs) all the proceeds from this book goes to City Kids and Liberty for Youth. So get on fox40shop.com. Buy the book, and you're helping city kids and liberty for youth. Ron Foxcroft, thanks for the time as always. Be well. Thanks, Scott. My pleasure. Coming up after all this fun and the news at the top of the hour, the Scott Radley Show, and, of course, Scott is with us now, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator and host of his own show. Scott, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Doing just superbly. Just had Ron Foxcroft on. What an incredible guy this is. And you know what I think amazes me about Foxcroft is he will always give you time. He will always give you advice. And you think, my goodness, I've just met the best friend of my life. But everyone he talks to, he makes feel like his best friend. You know who Ron Foxcroft reminds me of? Now, when I say this, understand where I'm coming from. He, he, he's kind of Forrest Gump and not in the, you know, lots of chocolate kind of way. Nice. He has been everywhere and done everything. Like yes. Forrest Gump was a ping pong player. He was a runner and he was a shrimp boat. Guy. I'm glad you qualified that, uh, Scott, because I'm not sure he liked that comparison. No, he has been a basketball referee at the highest levels. He has yep. been a trucking magnate. He invented a whistle. He's now an NBA officiating supervisor. He's got a son yep. who's a CFL official. You go down the list. Somehow he has got fingers everywhere and he's got yeah. footprints that have been everywhere and <laughs> you go how true. can one person have done i mean i i basically get through a week and i go wow i didn't do anything except stay in the basement and type and talk I, I, how does one yeah. person get all that done in one lifetime you know what also amazes me about him and you know i i think i've known him off and on like this for uh, 20 years anyway um is that he always credits his people he always talks about hiring people that are smarter than him that know their aspect of their job better than he does and he says the same thing all the time and it's amazing how that mantra still holds well and holds true today well and so look whether it's him or other people who also hold that point of view um is it a coincidence that the people who we hear tell us that yeah that we are listening to them because they're successful I don't think it's a coincidence that we say, okay, tell me what it is. And then the the common thing is I find people who are smarter than me. The yeah. day, now I'm not a I'm not a boss. A lot of people are threatened by that, though. I don't want that's someone who's right. going to be smarter than me. That's right. I'm not a boss. I don't own my own company, so I'm not speaking from expertise. But it seems like exactly what you said. A lot of people would be, oh, I'm not sure. I want to have someone who might take my place. I mean, yeah. we, Scott, we see this in sports often. The, the guys who are the coaches who are not always guys, women too, the coaches who are most successful are the ones who have the best, not always, but mostly the best assistants around them, the brightest, the ones who yeah. those assistant coaches are always the one other teams want to hire away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not a coincidence that when you surround yourself with bright people who are really good at their job, you're going to look better. But in that coaching analogy, the reason some people don't because you're scared that, oh, now my replacement is already here on site. You know what? If you can be confident enough that they're going to do their job and do it well, 
boy, that, that, that seems to work for an awful lot of people. It's amazing how he is such as vibrant as passionate. He always jokes around he's going to retire in 25 years and invite us all to his retirement party. It's amazing that uh, I'm always fascinated when I meet people like Ron who have as much passion now as they did when they first started. Ron's retirement party, he will be attending it in a pine box. I'm yeah. quite convinced of that. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. that you know, he's never going to retire. Why would he? Because And, and this yeah. is something else that you know, I, I don't even, I can't remember what brought this up. It was not about Ron Foxcroft earlier today, but it, I, I was listening to something. Oh, you know what it was? It was the um, the billionaires who are in these Pelican papers or whatever we're calling it. Right. What's the name yeah, of the yeah. thing? Um, uh, you know what uh, I mean? Yes. All these Pandora off- Box. Yes. Thank you. And, Pandora and, Papers. Thank you. Yes, Pandora Papers. And, and so, you know, yeah, some of them are greedy. No question. Some of those people are greedy. Others, you know, I look at this and I go, that's their... Money is not necessarily just to spend. It's a game. It's, 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 a, it's someone playing tennis and having to win all the time. And I'm not defending someone hiding money offshore or anything like that. But in, for some business people, that is the competition to, to continue to do things and build a business and everything else. And, and I'm not saying that like Ron's not hiring. Ron's name wasn't on that list. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. But he's a guy who I think that the, the business, the competition, I mean, he's obviously, you know, I'm not saying he's old, but he's obviously not at an age now where he's still going to be running up and down the basketball court like he once was, but there's still competition out there yeah. and the thrill of, of competing for something and working hard and succeeding. That's, uh, that, that's People who are competitive, it never goes away. They always want yep. something to push them. And then the really great ones like Ron, they want to spread the word. They want to help you. They want to help the next generation, which is great. And the book is called 40 Ways of the Fox. We'll give it another plug. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, right after the news tonight. And, of course, you can read them in your Hamilton Spectator. As always, Scott, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. All right. As always with Hamilton Today, we leave it to you, the good CHML listener, to climb up on top of the soapbox and have the last word, as Gary will. On Facebook going dark yesterday. Facebook is back. Facebook is back. I know where to get my opinion from now. Woo!